You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. You're listening to the E2C Network podcast by Auburn fans for Auburn fans. Brought to you by the Auburn Uniform Database. Visit them at auburnuniforms.com. War Eagle Auburn fans, welcome to Inside the Jungle, your source for Auburn men's basketball analysis and discussion. On tonight's episode, we're going to be breaking down an Auburn Tigers win at home in Auburn Arena over the South Carolina Gamecocks by the score of 80 to 67. The Tigers record now stands at 16 and 2 on the year and 4 and 2 now in the SEC. We're going to break down all the action storylines from this game and to do that I brought in my friend and co-host Mr. Drew Hooper. Drew, it feels good to be back on a well, I guess the start of a winning streak. Yeah, I mean, definitely Auburn came out and seemed a little timid, as if they just lost two games by 19-plus points, (laughs) but then really settled back into what we kind of expect from this team. Played some hard-nosed defense, got the job done when they needed to, and the offense was efficient. So let's say, just bring it right out there. I think we all, the team, the fans, whether you're at home or in the arena uh, watching this, kind of felt that moment of panic there where we got to four points really quickly about uh, a minute and a half into the game, and then it just shut down for a long time. And I think we all were like, here we go again. Three games in a row, we're going to do this crap and have to put up with this. And at that point, it might be okay for people to start sounding the panic button. But I think, Drew, we can all breathe a sigh of relief and realize that the last two games were not... Uh, some trend that was going to continue to happen, that it was just simply road games against, de- well, at least one decent team, uh, and just a slump that Auburn is in. Do you think everybody's going to cool their jets now on the panic? I, I think that they are a little bit, because this this was a convincing win. wasn't a convincing start, but, I mean, when is it this season with Auburn? But it ended up being a very convincing win. 13 points was a lot closer than it really was right. of a game in that second half. But, uh, yeah, I mean, myself included, started hitting the panic button a little bit with only four points because then we go uh, five straight possessions with you had five missed threes and two – you had Dowdy missed the wide-open layup, oh which my. I thought – uh, at that point I was like, oh, man, we may just want to pack it in. Uh, but ultimately came through, we missed five – long threes or and twos in that stretch. But ultimately after that, it calmed down a lot. And it wasn't because Devin Cambridge went off. It was because Auburn started working the ball into the lane and really starting to force the issue at the rim rather than just settling the whole time. I'm going to be honest, Drew. Last night I was playing uh, pickup basketball at this local church, and that moment when Samir Dowdy missed that layup right there, I had that exact same thing happen to me. The difference is that Samir Dowdy is an elite player. I'm not. Uh, but I, I could feel that sense of 
just failure and doom in his eyes when he saw that he missed that layup. And you got to feel for a guy like Samir who has obviously since SEC play has started has lost that magic touch. And you can't blame him for, you know, having a little less confidence on what should should simply be an easy 100% basket there at the layup. But um, I thought tonight Samir started a trend of making some smarter decisions, especially knowing your shot's not 100% right now. I like the way he kind of transitioned his game a little bit in the second half. Yeah, definitely much better. He blinked in the first half and then turned around in the second half, 0 4 in the first half, and then turned around and finished 3 of 6, 1 of 2 from 3. But the key was, and I think you and I agree with this, he got to the rim and really made a difference in the lane rather than just settling for jumpers. And I, I really think that's what gets players going is rather than having just a bad shooting streak, getting to the lane, getting your layups, but also getting to the foul line because the foul line's a good place to see the ball go in. It is. It's, it's some thing that goes on in your mind there. As a basketball player, I can attest to that, that you know, if you just see these simple shots start to happen or higher percentage shots or starts, um, it, it really is something that starts happening with your rhythm, your timing, your confidence. And then before you know it, you're knocking down Devin Cambridge's type of numbers <laughs> like he did in this game. We'll touch on him in just a little bit. But Dowdy ends the game with 11 points, and that coming off of not scoring anything in the first half. So 11 points for him, 4 for 4 from the free throw line, 5 rebounds, 4 assists, um, sharing the ball tonight. What did you think about that? I thought we did not do a good job of sharing the ball in the first half but shared the ball much better in the second half. And I'm going to try and keep my mouth shut because I have opinions about one player. <laughs> no, good. you get him out right here, so don't you hold back. I just think McCormick's a bad player. Like, I, I'm just going to go out there and say it. That's not me just being obstinate or just hating the world. But I, I think McCormick is, is not a good fit for what we want to do. Bruce needs a point guard. Javon McCormick is a basketball player. Uh, he he wants to score, he wants to dribble, but he doesn't want to play and facilitate the offense. Second half, he facilitated the offense. First half, I, I mentioned to you before we hopped on, he there were four possessions in the first half where he dribbled the ball for 18 seconds or more without anyone else touching the ball. That's unacceptable. Like Jared Harper didn't do that, but maybe once, like so- once or twice a game, and everyone knew it was going to happen. Javon McCormick isn't to that level yet, and I know we don't need to do the Harper-McCormick comparison, but it it seems at times that's the role he wants to play, and that's not the role he's built for. Well, and let me say this for Drew's sake here, too, that you know, as, as harsh as he's been, not even harsh, just real, honest as he's been about Javon's play at, at times this season, I, it's not coming from a place of, I don't. I can't stand this player. I wish he would just, you know, sit the bench the entire time. He wants him to succeed. It's just there's some frustrating things that we're seeing happen because we've seen flashes from Javon that have been very impressive at times. Again, at the end of non-conference play, he was knocking down 20-point games here because he was facilitating and having himself open up for more opportunities. Um, He's shown the propensity to be able to do exactly what this team needs him to do to be successful he has times to slip into being a basketball player, as you, as you said. Maybe a little bit of overconfidence. That might play into it just a little bit there. But I think that he can still find that rhythm that he needs to fall into to be uh, the facilitator that this offense really needs. And again, 
when he does that, he opens himself up for more opportunities. Tonight, he scores 13 points. Again, a lot of them are in the second half. He did get us off to a decent start there with four straight points at the beginning of the game. Uh, so, um, well, hopefully he'll he'll kind of turn it around as things goes along tonight. So let's talk about another player. He had a quiet night scoring, uh, only eight points for Okoro. But wow, what a finish to the uh, <laughs> the first half there. I did you think he got that shot off when he tipped that in at the at the buzzer? Oh yeah, I, I did think he got the shot off because he started jogging by the time the buzzer was going off. Okay. So, I mean, at that point in time, pretty confident you get the shot off if you're already heading to the locker room. Yeah, it, it just shows you again the talent that Okoro has. I mean, it, it seems like a simple thing. Oh, he just was in the right place at the right time. But no, just to have the presence of mind to be, I need to be up in the air, getting ready to tip this in the best way I can. And, and mind you, this is with his back to the actual basket in the backboard. He does this and banks it in uh, for Auburn to kind of have that little stick a pin in the first half and kind of have some momentum going into the second half. Let's talk a little bit about South Carolina, though. You know, you and I talk a lot about the accolades of Frank Martin, how much we respect him as a coach. And I got to be honest, I was a little let down by his team tonight. Did you feel the same way? They're they're just not great. I mean, it it just is what it is. It's hard to get guys to want to come to Columbia, South Carolina. I mean, that's not a knock on him, but he's really had to fight, even his Final Four team. Like, they struggled that season at times. And it was one of those that he's had to get these guys, mold them together, really get them to grind it out because he's not getting four and five stars. He's barely getting three stars. These are two-star guys, some three-star guys, ranked probably out of the ESPN 150 all the time. And, I mean, he he is fighting tooth and nail each time to really get this team to perform to standard. And you can tell because – the team has an identity and you can see how they want to play. Just sometimes the execution's not there, but by gosh, when South Carolina plays hard and really gets it going, that's not a team you want to stand in front of. And that's the thing here is that Frank Martin is such a good coach is that these players are fundamentally sound in their skills. They're just not flowing well as a unit right now. And and as you said, you've got maybe uh, them able to grab a couple of key players here and there, but it's hard to get consistent players to come into Columbia, South Carolina, and to want to compete as a team. Now, the same could have been said for Auburn at some points, but they're doing it. It doesn't mean that South Carolina at some point can't keep it on a consistent basis as well tonight. You know, I – I'm thankful, Drew, that we no longer have to hear names like Chris Silva or Michael Carrera, who just was the utter bane of my existence. He was an individual who had no business being good at basketball, but somehow, some way, he always found a way to be a headache for Auburn. And as much as I like watching a well-coached and and very successful Frank Martin team, I am so glad they don't don't have like a star right now. Yeah, I... I am too because like Silva and all of them just used to annoy me to no end because they just did they were just always in the right spot always did what they needed to do and were just tough to get around and you know what that, that's just a mark of a Frank Martin team I wouldn't be surprised with this group he has right here next year for them to take a large step though because that I don't think they have many seniors on the roster uh, you you have a pretty good true freshman. Or maybe red, no, he's a redshirt freshman, and then you've got the Estonian kid, who I think has talent, but just needs to get into better game shape a little bit. Uh, I think 
Frank Martin's going to have them back at a high level, at least for a blip, and then have to go back to developing those recruits again. It's the roller coaster ride that is trying to recruit in a small town for prominent basketball, and he we know his pain, and hopefully we don't have as big a dips as he's had at times because uh, he's a great coach, and I, I love every chance we get to play him, even when he beats us, just because it's that it's that fun to watch. Um, how about this? We've been talking about some of their players, but let's talk about a matchup between one of them and ours. Kotsar versus Wiley. Who do you think got the better of that matchup? The two big guys from both sides. Who wins that one tonight? I, I think Austin struggled, but I don't think Kozart was good on the offensive end either. He really struggled a lot too. So I think it, it was really just one of those games where the big men canceled each other out almost were, or obsolete for most of the game, and which is a shame because I think Austin should have had a better game against Kozart because I don't think he was as good as – as Austin is and is as advertised. And I know it's a shame for us as fans, but isn't that, that as a coach kind of what you want to happen? If you've got two guys that are clearly, or at least on paper appear to be very even in in size and stats and their presence on the team, what their role is, if they kind of cancel each other out, that means your that means your guy is kind of doing his job. It just means the other guy on the other side is doing his job too. So I, I don't really have a problem with that. And why I don't think this is a great game for, Austin Wiley in any sense of the word. And I think Bruce Pearl will agree with you. I think you said you noticed the coach getting on him a little bit in this game. Yeah, he, he was definitely getting coached up a lot more than I've seen him in recent games. I think a lot of it was he's begun to favor his left side and go to his left hand far more often with him being a predominantly right-hand shooter. But it just seemed like he was making the wrong decision at times, which yeah. you don't expect from a senior. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not something that you really expect to see out of that. But I, I've seen moments this season where Austin's kind of slipped in some of his old and bad habits. Uh, but those are fewer and fewer, it feels like, as time goes on. But I did see a little bit of that time tonight. But I, I'm happy that Bruce is getting on some of these seniors. And I think he, you are the ones that need to be held responsible for the two-game slide that we had in this. I mean, Devin Cambridge and... Uh, Tyrell Jones, Jamal Johnson, and Alan Flanagan, they're brand new to this thing. And so, yes, you hold them responsible to some degree, but this large group of seniors and even your phenom in Okoro, these are the guys that are supposed to be leading the team. And if they're not pulling their weight, then how are you going to expect the rest of them to do this, their job tonight? So I, I'm glad that Bruce got on some cases tonight, and it seemed to obviously pay dividends, uh, whether it was on the stat sheet or just in terms of mentality and flow of the game. Uh, we put it off long enough, Drew. Devin Cambridge, what a game he had. Tell me your thoughts on him. Yeah, I, I mean, I thought he came out and played hard. And that's everything Devin Cambridge always does. Like, he, you always know whenever you get him on the court, he's going to give you maybe not the greatest minutes in the world, but he's going to play hard every minute he's on the floor. And really, it, it was just one of those that, he was having open shots. He would. He made a couple and got the confidence to keep going. But I think even bigger than that, he made quite a few hustle plays, either following up a miss or just he, he had one in, on the defensive end where he stepped into the lane to take a charge on Cozard. And it basically made him come up short because he didn't want to get a charge. And just he did a lot of good things in every aspect of the game tonight and just really impressed. It, it's been good to see our freshmen and our bench step up, even with Jamal Johnson, step up just at times. 
Uh, we not one of them has really stood out as the the best bench player that we have or anything like that, but they've all filled a role exactly when Auburn's needed them to this year. Oh, definitely. I think that's one of the many blessings that we have on this team is that when one is not doing so well, the other bench player steps up and, and you know finds a way to contribute, whether that be points, defense, uh, just what they're bringing in terms of energy to the floor. Um, but, you know, I think De- Devin Cambridge has really solidified himself as the guy that can come in and score and score quick. And that's obvious from this game. I mean, 26 points and just nailing threes left and right. Six for uh, nine from three-point land there. He also had five rebounds to his credit tonight. So I-, I thought this was obviously his career night thus far in a very short career. And uh, I-, I don't know if you got a chance to watch it. I was watching a little bit of the post-game uh interviews and, and such at the end of the game there. He looked like he was a little nervous and is not used to the limelight, so to speak. So it's kind of nice to see somebody have such a great game and be so, at least what it came across as humble about it because, I mean, you could tell he was just having a great game out there night. And, you know, I, I do think we might have another sports center uh, dunk from him. Do you think? Yeah, I, I think it may come in right there at the end. Uh, they may pair it with him banking it off the top of the backboard for a three as well, which, I mean, if it goes in, it goes in. I've never been one to ignore the the bank shot. Uh, <laughs> but also, I mean, just to add to the post-game interview thing, Bruce Pearl came up and said about time, and which really makes me think, you know what, maybe this is the Cambridge they're seeing in practice. Right. Like, I'm not going to go so bold to go, wow, Cambridge is going to come out there and just knock down everything from now on. But I – you know, whenever a coach comes up and makes a point of that in the post game, like Bruce was fighting to get over there, yes, and, and made the point to say about time, like about time this this type of game happens from you. Uh, I I think that shows me, you know what, there may be things going on in practice that aren't translating to games yet, which makes me excited because I believe they're they're going to start translating to games. We're getting to the point in the season where in February that's when freshmen either really make their mark or they they start to fall off. And I'm hoping we're beginning to see the freshmen of Auburn begin to make their mark. Can we just take a second here and enjoy the fact that we have a coach like Bruce Pearl who fights to get over and, and jump in uh, to someone else's interview just to cheer on his player? I mean, how many coaches do that type of thing? I can't think of many. I, not many. I mean, there, there's not many Bruce Pearls in the world. And I really can't think of one who would be like that. I, I mean, I can see a Frank Martin just because he's close here with this game that we just played against South Carolina. I can see him saying that in a post-game interview but not fighting over. I, I can see maybe like a Tom Crean doing that or something. Maybe, yeah. Uh, but I, I don't think you're going to see coaches do stuff like that. I don't think you see guys – loving their coach the way Auburn loves Bruce. And I may be completely wrong about that, but I watch a lot of college basketball and I've watched it a lot for years. And that's just not something you see. Bruce is a very unique specimen. Well, and that's a testament to what he, he had to be a, a unique specimen. Think how far in the gutter we were and how bad things had gotten in terms of recruiting, morale, 
uh, fan excitement. I mean, you had to have someone come in like this and do things differently. There's a reason that you cannot get a ticket to a home game right now in SEC play, and that's not just because of a great play at times by the players and the team, but it's because they want to come and see what Bruce is going to do too. I mean, he's he's in there the entire time, throwing up his hands, making sure the crowd stays into it while trying to coach and scream at the refs at the same time. So he is quite a specimen, and moments like that make me really appreciate what we have right now. And you know, I'm not trying to say that he's going to move on to greener pastures at some point. We hope not, but while we have him, folks. Whether there's roller coaster rides or not, low points, high points, you need to enjoy the fact that you have Bruce Pearl as part of your Auburn athletics department because great things only I'm just, come. I'm just going to pause you there. I don't think he moves on. I think Bruce would have retired at Tennessee had nothing happened. I, I think he he is at the level he wants to be at. Yes, we saw him leave indiana southern or whatever but i mean who wouldn't if you're that talented and we saw him leave wisconsin milwaukee but i firmly believe bruce would have stayed at tennessee for life i i don't see him ever moving uh, and i may be completely wrong about that but i mean bruce just seems like one of those guys that if he can be somewhere for life he's gonna be there for life right no i agree with that i do hope and that's the impression i get that he's found a match in auburn that can be obviously very satisfactory for both parties for a long, long time. I'll, I'll never say that it's not a possibility that someone couldn't swoop in and steal him out from under us. And, you know, th- there are certain teams and programs I would say that I'd, I'd be okay accepting it because it would make sense. But um, at the same time, you know, I, I'm hoping that he's wanting to go down as the, the greatest basketball coach in Auburn history. And there's been some good ones, but th- I think there's room for him to make his claim there. But anyway, enough about the Bruce Pearl love fest that we have here. We just wanted to talk about that for a minute. A couple more stats from this actual game here before we move on to talk about the next one. Field goal percentage, Auburn 46% from the field. Wow, that's a lot better than last game. Uh, 37% from the three, uh, three-point land. Free throws. Drew, we did it. We did it. 86%. Do you know how much that does for my little free throw loving heart, Drew? Come on, celebrate with me. Hey, Wiley, four for four, man. Look, it's good to see a big man knock down some free throws. What What is going on here? I mean, I have not. Have we hit eighty at all this year? Uh, we hit eighty in the first half of a game one time. Oh, come on, uh, but most of the time we've been sitting around that seventy-one to seventy-five percent mark. You have no idea when I pulled these stats up and saw eighty. It's not even like eighty. Eighty-six percent. That just right there is all I needed to know. Um, obviously that's the stat I look at here that really contributed to the success for me tonight. I know there's other factors as well, but what's the one thing Auburn did in this game that makes you say, Hey, this is what we changed to be a little bit more successful than the last two games. I I mean, I I think I've mentioned it getting in the paint was the big one for me, like scoring close. They were 12 of 20 this game really fought to get into the lane, obviously attempted 21 free throws, which is right around our average from the year. But just to give you another one, we dropped our turnover percentage. We still turned the ball over like 12 times, but we were better with our possessions. We were more meaningful. We dropped it to 17% this time where it's been sitting at 24 to 25% during those two losses. So I think really taking care of the ball and making possessions count were the big things for Auburn tonight. Well, and off your point about turnovers too, correct me if I'm wrong, but I do believe a lot of those turnovers came kind of in the the back half of that second half where we were – 
obviously feeling very good about where we were sitting at, being a little bit more free and maybe a little bit uh, too free at times with what we were trying to do on offense. Um, I, I personally felt like some, some of those came in not garbage time, but in instances where you can be a little bit more free. Did you feel that way? Uh, I felt like a lot of them, or not a lot of them, some of them came at the beginning of the second half. We just played a little sloppy and then played a little sloppy in the beginning of the first half. But, you know, I'm not awful worried about it. I mean, it, our average is nine on the year. We turned the ball over 12 times, I believe. So, in all reality, that's not bad at all for Auburn. It's not. I mean, they did several things uh, well tonight that really uh, made us all come out feeling a lot better about the where we stand in terms of of the college basketball landscape and especially the SEC basketball landscape. I, I think this was a great reminder for us as fans that this team is still very good and they are one of the better teams in the SEC because they made a mid-tier team, obviously, it, by the end of things, look like they didn't belong. With, not, I won't say that, not belong with the court with them, but uh, nine time, eight times out of ten, Auburn should beat this South Carolina team uh, because they – are I think a little bit more talented and when especially when they are shooting like they did tonight or at least Devin Cambridge is uh, I think Auburn definitely beats this team eight times out of ten uh, this season so let's wrap this one up on South Carolina let's move on to the next one and Drew we're gonna go back to non-conference play don't you love playing non-conference games in the middle of conference play I'm fine with it I mean I don't particularly like it but I I think this is another opportunity for Auburn to play something that they're not used to, which right now I I think is probably great for them. Now, something interesting you said to me beforehand was that you were glad that this was not in Ames, Iowa. And tell me why that is. Because it's just a weird place. <laughs> I, I mean, I there's just certain places like I'm, the Big 12 is a, a different world. Everyone knows you don't play Kansas State on a Thursday night in Manhattan in <laughs> football. Like yeah. Ames, Iowa just seems like that same type of place. I, I just, it just weirds me out. But the thing that weirds me out the most is that this is an 11 a.m. tip as well. Oh, so, gosh. I oh. mean, it's just, it's just kind of, I don't, I wouldn't want an 11 a.m. tip in Ames, Iowa, because no one enjoys waking up and being in Iowa. Especially when it's that cold at 11 a.m. in the morning. So thankfully, this is going to be here in Auburn Arena. And obviously, the game we're mentioning here is the Big 12 SEC Challenge. Auburn versus Iowa State in Auburn Arena. They're coming in at 9-9, and 2-4 and four in their conference play. Um, 11 a.m. is when the game tips off this Saturday, the 25th. You can watch it on ESPNU. Uh, now, a little bit perspective of where they're coming in at. You hear that record, 9-9. Nine and nine, You're like, okay, well, who have they played? They played some pretty good teams. You know, I'd say a number two at the time ranked Baylor, and they'll soon play a number one Baylor as well. They played Texas Tech. Uh, they played Seton Hall twice and beaten them once, lost one time. Um, so I'd, I would say their signature win is that one win against Seton Hall. But then you look you, at some of their losses. You don't you don't give them a signature win against Alabama? You know, I, I'm going to ignore that comment. <laughs> I feel like that's a dig at me for saying Alabama is is better than they they appear to be. But no, time out. Gonna... We we gotta look at one more thing. Okay, they literally play in the Iowa Corn Cyhawk series. Excuse me, like, what? Are you thankful that we we don't play in the Big Twelve and play these type of silly games? Wait, wait, <laughs> well, hold on, one more time. What was that? They play Iowa, which is a Big Ten team, but obviously border war thing. Right. I mean, border war, they're in the same state. But they play the Iowa Corn Cyhawk Series. 
What on God's green earth is that? That is. That's why you don't play in Ames, Iowa. That's why I'm so <laughs> glad this is home hosted. I've got images in my head now of what that might look like, but I know it's on a basketball court. But I'm imagining a cornfield now. Um, okay, uh, that's that's interesting. Uh, anyway, Iowa State, uh, like we talked about, has beaten Seton Hall. They have lost to teams like uh, Florida A&M, though. So, you know, not knocking Florida A&M, but just not someone that you would hope that a Power 5 conference would be losing to in any way. So, uh, general thought, I know we talked about you're okay with us playing non-conference games in the middle of conference play. What's your thoughts about the Big 12 SC Challenge in general? I, I think it's a good setup. I mean, I Big 10 would be the other one that you'd want to play. I, I hate the ACC. I don't ever want to play ACC teams. <laughs> but I, I think Big Ten would be the other one that you'd want to play. But I don't think there's as many good teams right now in the Big Ten. I right. mean, Penn State's decent this year. Michigan's decent this year. Ohio State has kind of fallen off the map. And Michigan State's down this year. Uh, I mean, I, I'm fine with Big 12. Yeah. It's not It's not the pack. We don't have to go all the way out there to the middle of nowhere. We, we get to play games against opponents that seem like good matchups. I mean, Iowa State typically is good. They're down this year. Right. But, I mean, Baylor, obviously good. Texas isn't great, but they tend to give a game. Oklahoma tends to give a game. Kansas gives a game. Kansas State gives his game. You may fight them at the end, but, hey, it is what it is. <laughs> but Texas Tech is pretty good. I, I mean, I, I like the series. I, I think it's a good matchup for the yeah. SEC to really – it gets you a game forced against a power five conference in which you can kind of get a barometer about how the, how other conferences play. Right. No, I, I really like this. You know, I've heard different opinions on it. I think if I, I don't want to misquote Clint, our former co-host on here, but I felt like he was kind of like on the fence about this one, but I really like the big 12 SC challenge because a lot of the points you brought up, but I, I feel like the big 12, even though they're not 12, but I digress. Um, fits more culturally with the SEC. They are not the South, but they're about as South as the Midwest could get to the Southeast. And, you know, teams like Texas fall into there. Uh, Oklahoma kind of has that feel as well. So I just, I feel like those are teams that we get interested in seeing because they're outside of our reach, but not too far where we're not unaware of them. So I really like it. And as you mentioned, this Iowa State team is maybe not as good as they have been in the past. And I would even venture to say two to three years ago, the storyline would have been swapped here. You know, Iowa State would have been the better team, and Auburn would have been the one looking in, hoping to get an upset here. So it's interesting to kind of see how things have changed in a short amount of time. What's your feeling on how this uh, Iowa State 11 o'clock game is going to go? I think it should be a win. They're very bad at defense, and that should be good for an Auburn team that, isn't the best shooting team. So I'm hoping this can be pretty good. They they don't shoot the ball well either, only shooting 31% from three. They shoot at 45% on everything else, but they don't make a lot of shots uh, as, I mean, making a lot of field goals per game. They don't get to the line too often. They shoot about as bad as free throws as Auburn does. (laughs) So, I mean, you know, I mean, it, it could really be a good game to give Auburn that two game momentum before they start to swing into harder opponents. Yeah, I think it's something that could be a nice change of pace after the two-game losing streak in conference play. They get a good conference win, and then they need to try something different, and so hopefully that kind of 
gets things rolling forward for the rest of conference play here. Uh, one player to watch, Tyrese Halliburton. He is their uh, sophomore guard and their leading scorer at 15.6 per, uh, points per game. He's also the leading rebounder at 5.9 point, uh, rebounds per game. So wake up, everybody. It's an 11 o'clock game. We'll be breaking that one down when we uh, get back together this Saturday. Before we get out of here, Drew, uh, we don't have any women's update, but let's give our contact information. Uh, they can find me on Twitter at, at TigerEye24. Where can they find you? You can come at me on Twitter at Drew underscore Hoop 2 and tell me all of your hot takes about how bad my hot takes are about Javon <laughs> Be careful what you ask for, so the social media is a dangerous place. But that's all we have for you in this edition of Inside the Jungle. Thank you for listening. Until we talk to you again, War Eagle. War Eagle. Before you get out of here, we want to remind you of a couple of things. Head over to E2Cnetwork.com, our website where you can find everything that you'll ever need from us, podcasts, blogs, and even ways to help support the show. If you want to find individual episodes, you can download all of these on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. So until we see you again, I want to remind you of one thing that here at the network, we believe in Auburn and love it. The only question remains, do you?